0: I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9. And uh, we're coming to the end of this uh, series. We're going to break off after this and uh, go and do something else over the next few weeks. But um, the first nine chapters are introductory to the the whole book of Proverbs. And uh, uh, from 10 onwards uh, are the Proverbs of Solomon or the sayings of Solomon. Uh, So little pithy statements that uh, Solomon gives us. But the first nine chapters are instructions about wisdom and the importance of wisdom and how we need to get wisdom. And I hope you've picked that up as we have uh, gone along with it. But this is a shorter chapter than the other ones, but it brings to a conclusion uh, the the father's teaching of his son uh, about the need for wisdom. And uh, so, let's read. Uh, Verse 1 says this, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table, she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight." Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser, still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman, folly, is loud. She is seductive, So this is a book about wisdom, and we've seen that this is a book about wisdom and the teaching is about wisdom. And uh, if I may stick my neck out this this afternoon, any attempt at human wisdom, which ignores or even denies the God of the Bible, while it may make some practical advances, and we all know the benefits, Of the practical advances that human wisdom has brought us. Um, God's common grace extends to all, but the trouble is that in the end, without God as your foundation and the foundation of your wisdom, eventually all descends into absurdity. I wonder if you've ever thought that and thought about the way the world is going. Uh, what you find is that without God is the foundation of all your wisdom and all your thinking, then the notion of absolute truth seems like a mirage to you. It becomes that way. where And then everything is up for grabs. And where you have celebrities saying, I'll tell you my truth and you can tell me your truth and somehow we can share stories, but n- there's no notion of absolute truth and absolute wisdom. And so the whole thing begins to descend into forms of absurdity. So for example, let me give you a silly example. In the last few months, there have been academics in well-known and respected institutions who believe that there is no absolute truth who have recently begun to argue that two plus two does not necessarily have to equal four. Seriously. Seriously. It descends into absurdity. This passage in chapter nine so it brings us to uh, the conclusion of the teacher's exhortation to get wisdom. And uh, it brings us back again to this central issue that God alone is the foundation of true wisdom, the beginning of wisdom. Let's just look at the structure of this chapter. Uh, you'll notice that the the chapter is bookended, uh, beginning and end, with uh, two women and their houses. Uh, the first is, is what you might call Lady Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. Uh, she has hewn her seven pillars, uh, and so one to six is about the the message that Lady Wisdom calls out to the world, to the simple. But then you have uh, another woman. A second woman at the end of the chapter, in verse 13, the woman folly is loud and she's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she too calls out to the simple of the world. And what this does for us is it sets up up, uh, two contrasting invitations to life, two contrasting directions in life, Both are calling the same people the simple people. And I'll come back to the simple people later. And then you have this middle section in 7 to 12, where the teacher is essentially asking what kind of mind the son that he's speaking to, or anyone else for that matter, is going to have. Are you going to have a mind that is shaped by Lady Wisdom? Or are you going to have a mind that is shaped by this lady folly? But at the center of that discussion is this verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now this is a, going to get technical here? Uh, this is a caistic structure, if you like. A, b- broadly speaking, a caistic structure. We have two, two layers on the outer layer, and it points you inwards to the central issue that's at the beginning, in the middle. And it's this verse, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, before I... So, two women, two houses... And where are you' going to end up? What kind of mind are you going to have? Before I delve into that, let me to digress a little. Um, as you get older as a preacher, you tend to digress, and I' uh, take the liberty of it this evening, but let me digress a little, and I think it's relevant and talk a little bit about, about Jesus Christ, uh, something that Jesus Christ taught. You see, in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is our wisdom. That whatever is said about wisdom in Proverbs, ultimately it's found in Jesus Christ. And to get wisdom, in the end, amounts to this. Get Jesus Christ. Learn from him. And uh, so he is, the, he is presented both as the wisdom of God and also the teacher of wisdom in the New Testament. And one of the clearest places that you'll see the teaching of wisdom is in the Sermon on the Mount. And let me uh, just read uh, uh, the end of, of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's very pertinent to, to what we're saying here. Um, so verse 24, Matthew seven twenty-four, says, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears the wor- these words of mine and does not do them, he'll be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. That's a two, uh, one message of wisdom. One wise person who builds on a rock builds a life on a rock. One foolish person who builds on sand, which may have looked like solid ground, but actually when the water comes, it washes away. And you may remember this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, how that, what that's a conclusion of. It begins with the Beatitudes You remember those blessed statements uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, a description of what a blessed person is, and it's really a description of what a Christian is like, Uh, somebody who has received the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the the message to repent and believe and enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the blessed person now becomes uh, this person who is blessed in so many ways in chapter 5, having received the message, believed in Jesus, repented of their sin, and entered into the kingdom. And then Jesus goes on to explain what does that mean for you Christians and you disciples? What does it mean for you? And he looks at what that means for them through the lens of the law. So he begins to unfold the law through chapter 5 into chapter 6 and into chapter 7. Uh, but he, he also shows us that the law and the application of the law goes deeper. It's not just a surface thing. It's not just a set of tasks to do, but it's an attitude of the heart. That it delves deep into the heart. It is life-changing. Everything about it changes you. And at the end of the sermon, then we come to that passage that we read already, and three contrasts contrasts are made at the end to try and ram home the application of it. Uh, First of all, which path are you going to choose? There's the, The narrow path that leads to life or the broad path that leads to death? Or the second contrast, how do you know who truly has this gospel and how do you know who has got a false gospel? Well, you you know them by their fruits, the fruit in their lives, how their lives change. By their fruits, shall you know them, says Jesus. And the third contrast is the one that we just read for our purposes. What ground are you building your house upon? Are you building on rock, which will stand in all the all the storms of life and all the difficulties that you may face? Or is it going to be a house that's built on sand, and as soon as any trouble comes along, you're off. You disappear. You're nothing. You're nowhere. You get washed away with it. And you know, one's a wise and one's a fool. Well, this idea of which house you have comes into this chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 9. And, uh, and it just shows us that the teaching of Jesus is actually rooted, well rooted, into the Old Testament. That there is a sense in which there's nothing new about Jesus' teaching. What's new is that Jesus now has come in the fulfillment of all the teachings of the Old Testament. And so the, we can look at Proverbs chapter 9 and see that it's very Jesus-like. The teaching is very Jesus-like here. So if you want to imagine this, and I think this is a valid thing to do, imagine that this is Jesus speaking to you. Are you going to listen to wisdom, his wisdom? Are you going to listen to the folly of the world? Which house are you going to enter? Which house is going to stand at the end? And it sets out for us that simple choice, I think, uh, that faces all people. Will you live, will you choose the house of wisdom, or will you choose the house of folly, where there's no stability whatsoever. That's a very relevant question to us today. Which house are you going to live in? Let's look at these two houses then. Lady Wisdom's house is in verses 1 to 6. Notice how grand it is. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has seven pillars. And look at the, the table that is set out before uh, in the house. Beasts have been slaughtered, animals have been killed, food has been prepared, wine has been prepared, the table is rich and full of all the goodness. And if you know your Bible, that may spark off a memory of Jesus' parable of the wedding feast, where everything's prepared, where the king sends out his servants to invite people in. What do you know? Lady of Wisdom does exactly the same thing. In verse 3, she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places of the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat. Eat my bread and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And so they go out into the world and they, they call to the simple people. Again, I'll come to the simple people in a minute, but who are these people? Uh, but just to say that all are invited, everybody's invited, come and eat, come and drink, says Lady Wisdom. And if, I can, if you forgive me, I think I can make a blatant gospel link here. This is a gospel call of God to the world. This is a foreshadowing of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ being laid out for us in the book of Proverbs. There's a call of a God who's willing to share all he has with any who will come if they will just come who will listen to him come and sit down and join with him as he shares that meal with us. See what Jesus taught in his parables is not new to first century Jews, you see, because it's built on the riches of the Old Testament. And what's new, as I said in the New Testament, is Jesus has come. Here he is. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the one who calls out to the world, come and eat, come and drink. It's nothing less than a call to a banqueting table to become a Christian, to come and sit with the Lord Jesus Christ. Such is the grace and the goodness of God and share in his joy and his fullness. What a wonderful thing that God offers to us. And I wonder if there's anybody here today or anybody listening who's, for whom this is, this is news. I hope it sounds like good news to you. That this is the kind of God we have. That he, as it were, has his arms wide open. And he says, come, come, come and eat. And have you responded to that call to come? And there's time to do so. There's still time, The words I'm saying today are a call to you to come to Jesus, to come to wisdom, to come and receive, to share in his fullness. Come and join the feast. As you think about that, let's secondly think about folly. So, the house of folly, uh, the woman folly, lady folly, in verse 13. And in this house, there are some similarities and there are some differences. Folly has her house, but it's not grand and it's not splendid. Folly is is loud and noisy, but clearly doesn't know as much as she claims to know. Look at verse, um, verse 13, the woman, Folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing, seductive and knows nothing. Now that's written from the point of view of somebody who has wisdom and is saying, you need to watch out for this. She sounds like she knows everything, but she knows nothing. And it's interesting to reflect that something can be false, yet seductive at the same time and draw people in. That many human philosophies are like that, aren't they? They sound so seductive. Sins are like that. It sounds as though they're going to be so fulfilling if I could just indulge in that sin. Uh, certain lifestyle choices are like that, loud and seductive. But this woman, Folly, she, she also goes to the public places to call people to her house. And did you notice that the invitation is exactly the same? So look at verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, and she says what she says. But then compare that with verse 4, Lady Wisdom. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. Both offering uh, the same invitation. And on the face of it, it looks hard to tell the difference. But look look carefully at what folly provides. Not riches... As wisdom does. But look at verse 17. Stolen water. <laughs> Stolen water. Uh, bread eaten in secret. By contrast to the richness of wisdom's table. It's a, it's a pitiful offering. But notice how it's promoted. By folly. It's sweet. It's pleasant. Great. Come and have it. It would be delightful. Water and stolen, you know, stolen water and bread. This is how the world works, isn't it? The world tries to make you, whatever it's selling, whatever the world is selling, it's not, it doesn't just, these days, it doesn't, you know, adverts don't just show you the thing itself. They show you what you're supposed to feel about it. I I was uh, struck by a, uh, there's a car advert that was on a TV show uh, just a couple of weeks ago and it's uh, uh, lots of people driving around in this fancy new car and uh, there's one particular scene where there's a, a young woman, relative to me sitting in a car with a kind of slightly smarmy smile on her face this, this, the smile of self-satisfaction and she says she looks at the camera and says say no to boring and the message is clear this car is going to make your life so interesting you're going to be so interested in driving it and everybody else is going to be so interested in the fact that you're driving it and it's going to be a great, great thing to your life add it to your life, don't you want that? do you want people to say how interesting you are? it sells you how sweet it is, how pleasant it all is it's a great deception though, isn't it? All cars go by the way of the scrapyard, like mine. Never seen my car? Don't go too close. Not without a hazmat suit on. That's a great deception, isn't it? This is the way the world works. It doesn't just sell you things. It sells you how you're supposed to feel about those things. And this is what this woman is doing. This is the picture that's painted here. At the end of Proverbs chapter 9, this woman folly cries out to you and offers you this most meager rations and says to you this is going to be sweet and pleasant. But it's a lie. It's a deception. And look where it leads. Verse 18. The person, the simple person who goes that way, he does not know that the dead are there. All people go by way of the scrap heap of the dead. And her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which is just the Hebrew word for the grave. To enter into the front door of this house is actually to enter in the end to the grave, to go to death. You see, to spurn wisdom To be seduced by this folly is to buy a one-way ticket to the grave, and it's nothing compared to what is offered to the people of God who choose wisdom. Look at verse 6, leave your simple ways and live, not go to the place of the dead, live and walk in the way of insight. This is the way. Will you go in it? I wonder if you've settled that in your mind this afternoon. Have you settled in your mind which direction, which house you're going to go into? Which doorway are you at this afternoon? Are you going to go into the house of folly or the house of wisdom? Have you settled that matter? What woman are you listening to? Which way are you veering in life? As you think about that... And in light of the two two meals that are laid out in these two houses, the third element is, third point I want to make is a question really. What sort of mind do you have? This is our final point. What sort of mind do you have? And it's worth just reflecting at this point on the place of the simple. I said I was going to come back to that. The place of the simple. because there's a lot said of the simple in this chapter. And uh, the invitations are made, the two invitations are made to the simple who are passing by. Uh, in verses 4 and verses 16, both women call out to the simple ones, the simple people. Now, we've come across simple ones before. Now, you may remember back in chapter 1, uh, in, chap- in verse 22, uh, the simple uh, wisdom is crying out again in the street. And uh, verse 22, chapter 122, says, "How uh, wisdom says, "How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in the scoffing, and fools hate knowledge?" And in that verse 22 represents something of a progression from being simple to being a scoffer, somebody who laughs at things, makes fun of things. To a fool, which is a, really a moral fool who's gone headlong into a godless life. So simple ones scoffer, fools. And uh, It's important we understand what simple, who the simple ones are. Uh, simple the, the name suggests um, people who are easily led. Uh, And you may remember back in chapter 7, the youths that were gathered uh, were described as simple. Um, And it doesn't mean mentally challenged in, in the Bible. Simple doesn't mean that, mentally challenged or intellectually deficient in any way. What it means is naive, foolish, childish, easily led, But the simple person is not yet a scoffer. And a scoffer is a person who, who, who has begun to make up his mind on some things and to the point where he has an idea of what he should take seriously and what he shouldn't. And so he scoffs at things that are actually important but he's decided aren't. And he laughs at them. He thinks it's funny and uh, doesn't take it seriously. The fool, of course, is the person who's gone head, as I said, has gone headlong into godless living. Now the simple are the ones who are the targets of the two women. And we should pause for a moment to reflect on the fact that I think the simple people are every single person who has not yet been captured. To be called simple is not flattering, but it is what we all are. Nobody wants to be called it, but it does represent everyone. And at some point in your life, you have been called, you have been a simple person in the biblical sense of the, word, not, in the not in the mentally challenged sense, but in the, more, uh, in the naive sense. Do you see what I mean? And there comes a fork in the road for every single person who's a simple person. Lady Wisdom is calling. Or Lady Folly is calling, and who you listen to determines what comes next. If you like, the simple here are presented as those who could go either way. What are the two ways to go? Well, the first, there's two ways. Uh, the first is to become a scoffer. And you see that there in verse 7 someone who laughs at things that he should take seriously. And it manifests itself in an unfortunate character trait. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. You see, a scoffer doesn't just laugh. He actually abuses as well. If somebody comes to a scoffer with wisdom to correct somebody, the scoffer returns abuse. and says, you're just stupid. Do you think you are? Ha ha! I'm not going to follow you. It's all a big joke. And this is, I think, the world in which Christians live in, isn't it? Um, and increasingly so. To uh, you know, a Christian presents a way of life or a way of, the way of salvation or the way of wisdom in Christ, and the Christian is mocked and made a fool of. And increasingly, in some cases, you could lose your job over it—a kind of institutionalized abuse of christians and so as you think about that scoffer i I need to ask you this evening this afternoon what do you think about the gospel what do you think about the christian gospel the wisdom that is found in jesus christ do you laugh at the idea do you mock christians you may be a scoffer this afternoon but i want to push further and suggest that that scoffing attitude is not far from church members. Uh, I, I work as a pastor, obviously, and and one of the things that I do occasionally is to offer advice and encouragement in a particular direction for individuals. Sometimes I need to say to people, this is what you need to be doing, you should be doing this. And I can often find that it's simply not taken seriously. Now, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in particular here, i Uh, I I can't remember frankly but I'm just that age (laughs) I can't remember but I can remember it happening I can't remember who it was but sometimes people just don't seem to take it seriously what I'm suggesting to them and as I point to the word of God you still don't take it such people don't still don't take it seriously and there may even be pushback from some who refuse to accept and get annoyed at what I say I've had that as well And, you know, it's a dangerous place to be, not just for me as a pastor having to face that. And I'm not looking for your sympathy, be assured of that. But it's a dangerous place for the church member to be in, to be a scoffer. Do you see what I mean? And the visible church is full of scoffers at the Word of God. They laugh at it. They say, oh, you can't take that too seriously. You can't take God too seriously about that. You can't apply that in the modern world. You've got to go with the times. I've heard that so many times. Well, that's the scoffer. What's the alternative to the scoffer? Well, the alternative is the person that can become wise, a simple person becoming wise. To listen, then, to, to lady wisdom is the first step to becoming wise. And having taken one small step in the right direction, many more follow. Look at verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. You see, it continues on. If you're wise, you can become wiser. The more wisdom you have, the wiser you can get. And you can keep going. And the paradox about a wise person is that it's not somebody necessarily, it doesn't mean somebody that necessarily knows everything and knows it all and know it all. Nobody likes a know it all. But the wise person is a teachable person who not only knows what he knows but has a sense of what he doesn't know and what more he needs to know. The scoffer thinks he knows it all and has no more to learn and laughs at anything new. But the wise person, step by step, grows in wisdom. So what kind of mind do you have this afternoon? Are you closed-minded? You think you know enough? You've got nothing more you need to learn, no areas of life that you need to grow in, in God's wisdom. Then, my friend, I I'm, I'm am suggest to you that you're well on the way to becoming a scoffer and feasting on the promises, uh, the false promises of the house of folly. Or is your mind open, on the other hand, to the wisdom that comes from God? This actually brings us to our final point. This is verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, the practical question is how to hear the call of wisdom, and it has to begin by listening to God. It has to begin by seeking Him out to be reconciled to him, to have all your sins dealt with by him. And he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. So where do you find true wisdom? You find true wisdom in Jesus Christ, God's son. There may be somebody listening to this who's tempted to have a little laugh to yourself, really? Is that the way to true wisdom? But I just remind you that whatever you think you've got in life, whether you've got money or education or inheritance or whatever it is, it is merely stolen water and secret bread. A meager meal dressed up as a banquet. It's nothing in the end. Come to the real thing. Come to the rich table of God where Jesus Christ is at the head of the table And with joy, we can all eat together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the riches that are laid out for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that when we come to Christ, we receive him and all his benefits. We receive treasures in heaven, treasures forever. Father, we pray that you'd help us all to choose Christ, to come to Christ, to receive him, to follow him, to pursue the path of his wisdom, to avoid the path of folly. For Jesus' sake we pray.